Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 64 of Hack to Start. This episode features John Gold, a designer at The Grid, an artificial intelligence platform that designs websites. Tyler and I wanted to invite John onto the show to share his story and insights as an entrepreneur and designer. John has gone back and forth between agencies, freelancing, and design, pursuing projects he's passionate about. He led design for several products and startups, previously including Prismatic. He's currently doing amazing work with The Grid, a platform that harnesses artificial intelligence to help you build a site. This is an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, John. Thanks for being on the show today. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start off by getting to know a bit more about you. Where are you from? What did you study? And how did your passion for design and entrepreneurship develop? Yes. So I'm from London. Um, I had a pretty uh, traditional graphic design education, I guess. Um, I studied typography and grid systems and all that kind of stuff at a design college called Ravensbourne in London. And yeah, I don't know. I just kind of found my way onto the web. Um, in the years after graduating, um, I fell in love with startups, fell in love with product design and all those good things. So you're actually a designer and developer. Why did you decide to learn both and how has it served you in your career? Uh, I guess I've just got a really short attention span. Um, I like the concept of mastery, but I've never been able to focus on, you know, just to keep going with like one skill set for long enough to, uh, you know, I, I just like learning things. I like, I like keeping, picking things up. And, you know, being able to understand things today that I didn't understand a week ago, it's kind of addictive. That's cool. So how did you end up learning development? As you said, you you had a traditional graphic design background, but you never took anything for development. So how did you, you know, transition into that role? Um, I still wouldn't call myself a developer these days. I don't know. I just prefer the sound of designer. I think it's an ego thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah, I do spend all of my day writing code these days. Um, I... I kind of knew CSS or HTML and stuff a little bit in like the 90s and elementary school. I kind of had that thread through the last, you know, through like the early 2000s of making websites before I considered myself a designer at all. Like I knew a bit of HTML, a bit of CSS when it came out, you know, all that stuff. But it wasn't until, I guess, the beginning of my degree when I was already starting to get bored of graphic design. You know, I was moving towards like web design and stuff. Um, I kind of refreshed myself in HTML and CSS, reapproached it from the angle of the designer I um, started really just, I had a really terrible, terrible, like terribly inefficient path um, learning development because I was super self-taught and this was before we had like the great resources that we have in, in 2015. Um, I kind of taught myself a bit of terrible jQuery and then I taught, I was like really bad at WordPress for a while and then I was really bad at, you know, like all the different things that people were bad at in like 2008, 2009, I guess. Um, I, over the time I kind of stopped 
stop doing terrible, terrible things to WordPress. And <laughs> I guess when I uh, when I started joint when I started working at startups, I you know it was easier to learn off people. Um, front end also just got a lot easier to do about five years ago when we had things like CSS3 come about. That was like a bit of a turning point. It just became a lot easier to do this stuff. Um, but it's always like picking stuff up on the fly. Um, you know, learning something for a freelance gig or learning something on the job, you know, learning the stack that we had at work. So, you know, learning Rails and then learning things like Backbone and Angular. Um, right now we're doing a lot of Node and React stuff. Um, you know, it's just always been kind of figuring out what I need to learn um, when it's time to do it. Oh, that's really cool. So you've actually worked a lot between San Francisco and London. What were some of the biggest differences between those two places in terms of design and culture? And how have they... Uh, impacted your style and approach in design? London's really nice uh, because it's got a great graphic design heritage. Uh, I think like places like London, Berlin, New York have the best you know, historical design culture in the world. So it's really nice to grow up surrounded by these amazing design agencies. They didn't, you know, maybe they did or they didn't uh, make the transition to the web, but like typographically and visually like doing some really gorgeous stuff. Um, so that's London. I feel like the startup scene there's okay. It's you know it's getting better every year. But um, there's also just like this kind of mystique about San Francisco, um, which I really really love. I love spending time here. Um, I feel like San Francisco gets a pretty bad rap, like on Valleywag, on Gawker, on you know whatever blog. It's kind of easy to it's easy to jump on the you know gentrified or gentrifying uh, techie douchebags like you know in 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 their shuttles or in you know kicking kids off of soccer fields whatever and that's a part of it i i actually don't have any friends here at all like that i've never met anyone like that but i presume those people exist somewhere um (laughs) maybe it's like selection bias i've got cool friends i don't know um but yeah i love san francisco i've still been trying to trying to articulate it this summer but you know the whole like hippies doing acid in the 60s inventing computer stuff like that whole kind of connection between like the stuff people were doing like the really innovative stuff people were doing at xerox park with computing with ai and with the stuff going on at berkeley with the stuff happening in art and um like free open culture in san francisco in the 60s 70s the kind of stuart brand whole earthy stuff um you know really nice um kind of countercultural revolutionary ideas i feel like there's a thread of that still today and there's still people i'm friends with you know doing really exciting i hate to use the word visionary but like you know like really crazy like groundbreaking visionary work i like the idea i like the optimism of san francisco of america generally but san francisco just nails it you know everything's impossible and then you just go and do it um there's a lot of pessimism in london and berlin or at least that's my that was my takeaway from living there i like in san francisco that people just kind of get on and do the do the crazy ideas that's awesome. So kind of continuing that, that thread a little bit, uh, you know, you've had a chance to work as a designer within the agency world and then dove into startups. So what's the what's that experience like between designing for others at an agency versus designing for yourself uh, and a product that you're building within a startup? I think it's nice to flip back and forward. Um, I did some agency work last year when I was freelancing um, after my last couple of startups. And, you know, I tend to go back and forward. Startups are really nice because you get to just do, you know, wear like a million hats, learn a bunch of things. Um, Like, I think they're really great growth experiences. And, you know, if you get the right one, then, you know, you make some money, whatever. I forgot that. (laughs) But uh, startups can be great environments. Um, On the other hand, one thing I felt... Like when I left, uh, when I left Makeshift, was that um, I was I was spending a lot of time just executing. I was spending a lot of time 
just kind of working super, super quickly, like learning how to ship products really quickly, but not having the time and space to, um, you know, do some like in-depth design processes. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't growing that much as a designer. Um, I was growing like in a million other ways, but I kind of wanted the time to go back to agencies and spend a little bit longer just like thinking about vision stuff, vision pieces. Then I got bored of agencies again and went back to startups. And I think I've landed it somewhere, like luckily, where I have a lot of time to like think through my process and like think kind of long term stuff, which is nice. Um, I don't think any is like right or wrong. I think kind of a theme in life is to just keep doing different things. And if you've been working in startups for a couple of years, go to an agency. If you've only ever worked at agencies, you should probably join a startup. I'm not kind of, I'm not too religious about it. <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. So you mentioned that a little bit, but what were some of the biggest lessons you've taken out during, you know, both of those experiences working at agencies versus working for yourself? I think the main thing, like on a really selfish level, is to just make sure you're doing work that you like doing every day. Like if you're waking up in the morning and being like, I really don't want to go to work today. Just stop. Like life is way too short um, to, you know, to be working and stuff that's kind of okay. Or you're like, and when you're freelancing, you're like, I don't want to do this project, but they're paying me a lot of money. Just don't do those projects at all. Like life's way too short. And I think inspiration and passion needs to be like pretty carefully guarded. Like they're pretty fragile. And um, it's kind of a shame if, you're working on things you're not excited about or proud of. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, it, after, I guess, at some of the agencies, working for yourself, going back to agencies, you ended up working uh, and joining the team at Prismatic as the lead designer, um, which is super cool because I still use Prismatic as an awesome, awesome app. But for those who might not know, wh what is it and how did you create the opportunity to uh, to work there? So Prismatic is or was like a AI, um, I guess it was like a content reader. It was kind of a mix between like, it's been a while since I thought about it. It was kind of like a flipboardy kind of thing. You'd subscribe to, oh no, you, that's it. So you wouldn't subscribe to things. You'd like we'd use AI um, figuring out your interests and then just presenting content that was um, that, that you'd find interesting that you'd like to read. So you didn't have to curate it like an RSS reader or anything like that. Uh, it's been a while since I thought about Prismatic actually. Um, that was like a really interesting place to be because we were designing like we we're making design systems for dynamic like super like dynamic unknown data um and honestly like i never really got a chance to like realize like what i really wanted to do with those design systems i was pretty young at the time and it was just a timing thing um but that's something that i'm doing more of at the grid now kind of picking up where we left off designing for like infinitely mutable um unknown environments so that's it's kind of exciting as, as to how i got to work there um I think it was just graduating college and I just found the uh, found the CEO or the CEO found me on, on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn gets a bunch of flack, but I've got a load of work through there. I hate using it, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, I found a load of work through there. I think it was just um, kind of right time, right place. But back in like 2010, 2011, not many of the people that I was in college with were thinking about startups or even thinking about web design at that point. So like maybe in 2011, it was just super easy to be like, hey, I can do typography and there are no product designers in the world pretty much. So, hey, like hire me. Um, but that was like, yeah, it was just like a serendipitous thing. There was no like huge story to that. Oh, it's cool. It's a, it's a great tool. You're currently a designer at The Grid. For those who may not know, what is The Grid and how did you make the opportunity to work there? So The Grid is an artificial intelligence platform that, um, that builds websites. I think the easiest this for that um, a description that I can come up with is it's kind of like AI Squarespace. So rather than you picking a, a theme or anything like that, you'd um, you up you create your content and then 
with a couple of very, very, very simple parameters, we um, design and build a website for you or our robots do. It's a really, um, again, it's like just a really, really interesting uh, place to be right now. Like it's quite nice to step back from designing a website at a time, which is something mm-hmm. that, you know, I've done a bunch of landing pages. I've done a bunch of FAQ pages, whatever. Um, it's nice to kind of step back to a more meta um, and a systems level approach to design. So we can go into that a bit more. Um, how, again, how I worked there, it was, um, I've just known the creative director, Lee Taylor, for a couple of years, just on the internet and stuff. Um, I was getting, I was getting bored of freelancing um, trying to figure out what to do next and it was between you know, going to an agency or working at one of the big tech companies and then I just saw an advert for the grid somewhere and I was like oh that looks kind of cool and I remember you know Lee works there so I chatted to him and we hit it off like in a professional sense and yeah I've been working there since um, April or May now. So what are some of the design challenge you face while working at the grid and what approach do you take to solve the problems? So right now, um, I'm focusing on the typography system and the UI for controlling it. So the typography system is basically um, creating a system of like rules and constraints and logic to pick fantastic typography choices every time. So that might be things like line length. There might be rules about, you know, like fonts with big X heights are more legible or, you know, condensed fonts probably don't work for... Um, Condensed fonts probably don't work for body copy, or yeah, things like that. And you know, it's a whole system that um, can kind of intelligently pick uh, typeface pairings uh, based on content and based on, you know, internal typeface heuristics. Um, and then the flip side of that is there's a UI for the end user to, um, you know, to scrub through and pick pick some typefaces. Um, it's a really interesting one because in this particular example. Um, there's lots and lots of options out there. You know, the we could generate any any huge number of combinations, um, but we don't want to expose all of that to the end user. It's a tool for I'd say probably non-designers, non-developers. It's something that you know any anyone in the world can use to create a beautiful-looking website. We don't want to necessarily you know have a list of fonts, or we don't want to you know we don't want it to be too complicated. We don't want huge amounts of sliders or parameters. So. I've just spent the summer pretty much wrestling with how do I reduce it to the minimum possible um, while still being powerful, while still exposing a whole bunch of different looks and you know aesthetics for, for websites. Um, as to how I solved it, I don't know. It's This is a really interesting project because it's really forcing me to kind of scrape away at the surface of my you know unconscious biases as a, as a designer. Um, a lot of people have been like, "Oh, you definitely can't teach a computer how to design," and I I just don't believe that. Like, I could teach any eighteen year old non designer typography one hundred and one in like six weeks or something. Um, that's all rules. And then people are like, "Well, yeah, you can you know you can teach." You can teach some rules, but there'll never be any nuance, there'll never be any emotion. I really believe that every single designer in the world has a fixed set of rules they work to. And those might be be specific uh, kind of deterministic rules, like, uh, you know, I'll only use paragraph width between 66 and 80 characters, or something like that. Or it might be like an implicit um, kind of unconscious rule, and that's just like the sum of your experiences as a designer. Like you've, if you've been designing for two years or five years or ten years, you've got a ton of um, like internalized logic rules for how you 
approach problems. And it's kind of difficult to teach that to a machine, but there's no reason why we can't do it. So it's just been a long summer of scrubbing, it's like scratching away at the surface and really, really thinking about how and why I make choices, chatting to other designers, you know, at the pub and just figuring out how we really approach every project. And I think it's doable. It's just difficult, but it's, uh, it's an exciting ride to be on. That's really cool. So you've been focusing on typography. So what are other design challenges that uh, your design team are working on at the grid? I guess we, you can kind of split what we do, what we do down into two sections. There's, you know, there's the design systems, the AI. So that's things like the typography system, the color system, the layout system, and those all kind of work together to, you know, to design your website. That's our robotic website designer. Um, and then there's the UI side of that. So how people, how users. Um, create posts, create, create websites, um, you know, and then like, um, nudge, like nudge the AI to get to the aesthetic they desire. So on the, on the first side, on the artificial intelligence side, again, like similar to how I've run into these problems in the typography system, it's like, it's been, it's just been people, you know, like coming up against how do we, um, how do we go like to a macro level on layout systems? How do we go to a macro level on color systems? You know, what kind, how do different designers come up with palettes? How do they apply those palettes? Um, when should we extract colors from images? Just as, you know, just examples like from the color system or, you know, what, what, um, what swatches, if we generate palettes, like what swatches do we apply where? How do we ensure we have enough contrast? And there's, you know, that again, that repeats across, um, image processing and against layout and you know really everything we're working with so it's just really nice to get back to that kind of almost like design school thinking you know like when we had mm -hmm. time to sit and read Miller Brockman books or you know when we had time to really think about systems which I think like when you're working product design and startup -y, uh, web design you just have to ship as quickly as possible which is good and bad the other side of that is the UI uh, the user interface like has to be simple enough for you know simple enough to create websites with the minimum amount of effort they all have to look good they all have to look fantastic but and unique but we also don't want to have you know we don't want it to be it's not like a WYSIWYG like drag and drop thing you're not going to be as little as possible we want users to be like moving things around the page we want to like be able to infer that so it's just this really nice interesting fun balance of kind of unknown stuff and known stuff and you know, how we how we make it powerful whilst also being really simple that's awesome sounds like you guys are solving a lot of really cool problems it's yeah i mean it's the most exciting thing i could think of to work <laughs> on right now which is why i'm working there it's really fun yeah, i can't 100%. wait to have yeah i can't wait to have more stuff to demo and to show to the community as well because there's some really fun stuff happening behind the scenes <laughs> i can't wait so what's your day-to-day -day like at the grid um, it depends what I'm working on, really. Um, and right now, I've just got my heads down in um, the typography system. And it's a mix of kind of researching and thinking and sketching out systems, sketching out APIs, sketching out like constraints between different typefaces. So I'm reading a lot of AI books. I'm reading a lot of the classic typography books again. It's, you know, I don't want to forget that stuff. And then honestly, like I've just been sitting and coding quite a lot. Um, we've kind of got the freedom to work on whatever whatever's necessary. So in you know, thinking about these systems, I built a lot of internal tools that I really want to release for, you know, doing things like visualizing different typeface variations or, you know, there's a ton of different design tools that could be extrapolated out. Um, so I go between like working on the thing that's going to ship and then working on things that um, help us build the things that are going to ship. Um, like one, one tool that I was working on this summer 
took this idea of kind of branched uh, variable-based design. So if you have um, if you have a component you're designing and there are variables for, I don't know, the background color or there are variables for the heading typeface, whatever. I built a tool that would like visualize all the different options um, super, super simply. And I think that's something that's kind of missing from Sketch. You know, you end up artworking things a lot. So there's a ton of like really tiny, interesting things that that would be great if we could find the time and space to like generalize and release for the community. That's awesome. I can't wait till you guys release these little small projects. It's uh, it's going to be really cool. So what are your some of your biggest lessons learned so far while working on typography and these, you know, these engines that you guys are creating at the grid? At the grid specifically, um, like the typography systems, um, it's really interesting to get to like a numbers approach to typefaces, like thinking if I can reduce typefaces down to like a set of properties. Um, and that's been kind of working. Like, I don't think it's good enough to specify typefaces by being like, oh, that looks nice with that. Like, I really want to know why that's the case. And like, again, like just break down these kind of subconscious um, emotions and gut reactions to typefaces. The flip side of that is like, it's really difficult. Like when you see, when you browse like the HFJ website or, you know, you browse any, or like you're really like typewolf.com. Um, you browse any of these really nice uh, kind of galleries or like typographic inspiration. It's, it's, it's so much easier to be like, oh, I like that. That's really nice. Than it is to be like, why do I like that? You know, what's what's happening behind the, behind the scenes? Here? I also want to like make sure we keep kind of emotional feel in there, like some kind of humanism um, to the choices. So that it's difficult. Um, I think this is kind of a theme, like throughout the projects I've worked on, um, it's really easy to be super formal with grids and type systems and all that kind of thing. It's, it's easy to be like, this works because it's numerically true. But you know, there's the flip side of that with things optically looking right or emotionally feeling right. Um, so it, it's just important to not be too focused on the numbers, to not be too focused on things being completely rationally right they also have to be like humanistically right so what's next for the grid and what can we ex- when can we actually expect the full launch of that as soon as i get off the phone i need to go back to my laptop and keep hacking away at it um we're trying to get out as soon as possible it's a difficult system that we have to keep you know that we just have to make sure it's going to be fantastic um especially with the pressures of you know having so many signups so there's a lot of you know, expectation there for it to be great but I, I can't give you a fixed date, but I, I want it to be as soon as possible. That's cool. I mean, we're, we're definitely super excited uh, and hearing more about it from you is just building the anticipation. So uh, we'll, we'll have to eagerly await uh, the launch and, and have a chance to check it out then. Yeah, totally. It's going to be great. I can't wait to launch. For sure. So what are some of the most uh, recent apps that, that you've downloaded or used recently? Oh, uh, let me have a think about that. Actually, let me just open up my home screen and hopefully I don't kick myself off the call. Most recent one that I've loved that's really surprised me has been Scanbot. Do you guys use Scanbot? Yeah, I actually downloaded it the other day. It's amazing. Oh, it's so great! Like I spend mm-hmm. a lot of time like in Evernote trying to exp- like you know take photos to expense things, and it okay. Like granted, it's not like a hugely important thing. Like Evernote works fine for me, but the UX of Scanbot is just so nice. It's it is. like the animations are perfect. Um, like. The visual design is like, it's just perfect. It's not over the top. It's not crazy. It's just like really nice and cute. Um, I've really been enjoying using that for the past couple of days. I don't know if it's new or not. I just first heard about it a couple of days ago. 
Yeah, it's awesome. I'll have to check it out. I guess Tyler sounds like you're familiar with it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's. Uh, I came across the same thing. I had a different uh, scanning app and uh, completely forgot what it was called, and then deleted it off my phone. And that's where I came across Scanbot. And like you said, it's a it's a beautiful app and very simple UI, and it does the job. So I highly recommend it as well. Yeah, there's been a bunch that I've used over the years, but nothing that's been like, oh, this is great. Like now I don't. Like I used to not bother expensing things because it was just too much effort to, <laughs> to, to, you know, to scan it and like email it to yourself, whatever. But this is great. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing that I can think of to give a shout out to is um, it's a writing app called uh, Ulysses, and it's really, really interesting. If you love working in Markdown, like you think in Markdown, your brain works in Markdown. Um, you kind of hit a limit with things like IA Writer or you know those, those type of apps. Um, I'm I suffer from ADHD, and I've always found with IA Writer like I just can't. Maybe it's the typography, maybe I, maybe it's like the organization. I feel like I can't see enough of my document. I feel like I don't get organized there, and um, I also hate like writing in Markdown, like trying to do blog posts with images or links or that kind of thing, and having it all just like in markdown on the file like it's kind of nice to have proper links you know where it doesn't show the url until you hover over it and um ulysses just like really nicely fixes markdown like a ton of things about it um it's got a bit more of a ui it's got like a file picker so you can see pre like a kind of inbox trace you can see previews of your files you can kind of join up fragments and move them around and i think it's just a really really nice improvement over you know writing plain markdown in ia writer or vim or whatever you whatever you write in. That sounds like a really cool app. I'll have to check that out. Are there any recommendations on great content that you come across lately, like books, videos, or blog posts? You know what I've been re-watching recently um, is all of the videos on Vimeo from BuildConf. Um, it was a conference that was in Belfast in Northern Ireland for a couple of years. It's finished now, but there was some really, really great, um, really great videos over the years there. Um, and I was just kind of re-watching that stuff. Is there any specific talks from that conference that you would call out? Um, two that I really like. Um, Wilson Miner did When We Build, which got quite a bit of attention back in the day, um, back in I think it was like 2011, 2012. And it was just a great, um, it was a great talk about um, just having responsibility for what we create, how like what we make shapes our environment around us and just being kind of mindful about that. And you know, I've watched that talk like 20 times, but I was just watching it again recently and it's just fantastic. The other one I kind of like is, um, I was watching last night, is um, Jeff Veen's talk from 2011. I can't remember the title of it, but it was talking about almost designing for disaster, like coming up with processes that make sure you don't freak out when things go crazy in startup land. Um, it introduced me to the concept of equanimity, which has been like a big theme in my life recently. And, you know, just not getting stressed out like things things go wrong all the time especially in startups or when you're freelancing um and it's just nice to keep like a mindful perspective about that and just be kind of open to change and just kind of rolling with it so that's great that's awesome so do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos that you live by and you think others should know about i don't know about particular personal mottos but i think recently like i've just been super super careful to make sure that i kind of keep track of what i'm doing every day to make sure i don't waste too much time to make sure that I don't get kind of lost in the details and lose like, the bigger picture. So I think just generally, you know, make sure you're doing something interesting every day. Awesome. That's great. Well, John, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was great to speak with you and hear about all the cool stuff you're working on. Yeah, that was great. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at hack to start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.